All right, you guys can grab a seat. If for all the people tuning in online, I forgot about this at the time, but if you wanted to participate in communion, there's nothing saying that these elements we have in the building are special. Anything works. I've taken communion with orange juice and a piece of bread because that's all I had in my fridge. There's nothing special about it. It's just the act of remembrance. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to week five of our summer series that we're calling Summertime Stories. I don't know about you, but I just said the word week five, and it hit me that we're five weeks into the summer already. Is it anybody else that summer's just been flying by? It's the strangest thing. Um, it's like winter ended two weeks ago, it feels like, and, and now summer's already halfway gone, which means winter's... I'm not going to think about that. Um, <clears throat> but basically... Uh, if you've missed the past four weeks, what we're doing through this summer is we've been taking some time to essentially dive into some of the classic Sunday school stories that get sometimes neglected on, in a Sunday service. And, and we've been diving into some of the craziest, the wildest, the, the most intense and interesting stories in the Old Testament, exploring the lives of people like Gideon. Jonah and, and Ruth and Samson and, and um, Habakkuk, these, these prophets and these judges who God used in incredible ways to, to really to change the world. And, and really the focus of this series has been in looking back at what God has done through broken and hurting people to understand how God can and does work through people like you and me. People who maybe were not as flawed as some of the, some of the characters we've gone through. Like maybe you're not like Jonah who just ran off when God told him to do something. But, but people, like I don't know about you, but I, I feel pretty messed up sometimes. And so looking at these stories and understanding how God uses people like me and you and, and people like Jonah and Habakkuk and these people who messed up and made mistakes, it's encouraging to me. And so this morning, I, I want to dive into a story that I don't think I've ever even thought of preaching a message on before. A story of a little-known girl um, who, whose story really is lost at times between the massive Old Testament book of Judges with big-name characters like Gideon and Samson that a lot of people would recognize, and an even more massive story of a dude named David, and later on his son Solomon in, in First and Second Samuel. And it's this little, little four-chapter book that's stuck right between there. And if you've never heard of it, you're forgiven. Because if I'm honest, I, it's, it's a story that I haven't paid a lot of attention to before. It's the story of this girl named Ruth. And when I first told my wife a couple weeks ago that I was preaching on Ruth, she was like, oh, I love Ruth. And actually, that's been true of every single female I've told that I'm preaching on Ruth over the past couple weeks. They've been like, oh, Ruth, I love Ruth. And when my wife said that, I was like, okay. Like, what about the story of Ruth do you love? Because, because for me, like, 
it, it has nothing to do with Ruth being a female, and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, it's a female practice. No, 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 no. It's just that when I, if I, if I go to read my Bible, when I go to be, read my Bible and do devotions, I've never intentionally been like, I'm going to read Ruth today. Or if I have, often in trying to find the four pages that it's on, I get stuck in the story of like Samson or David and, and completely forget where I was going. And, and so I don't think I've ever preached a message on this, but, but I believe that there's something very, very interesting and integral in the story of Ruth that applies to each and every one of our lives. So, so maybe... Maybe you're like me and you haven't really paid attention to the story of Ruth. Maybe you have never heard of Ruth. Well, I hope you've heard the name before, but, but you've never heard of the character, the Bible character, Ruth. Or maybe you're like my wife and you're like, yes, Ruth, finally, I've been waiting for this. I believe God has something for us this morning. Um, so this morning, though, I want to start us off near the end of the story. And I know this is the worst way to write a book or read a book is to go to the end and understand the ending. But, but I want us to start at the end so that we can see the blessing that happens at the end of the story so that from a place of blessing and hope, we can then start to look at all of the garbage that Ruth had to endure in order to get to the place that God needed to be, her to be to bless her. And so let's look at this together. Ruth 4 Verse 9 says, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are my witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Names. If you need baby name ideas, these ones are free. Um, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name in his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are my witnesses. Now, if you're confused, and there, I just threw a lot of random weird names at you, if you're confused, um, basically what's happened in this moment is Boaz has agreed to marry Ruth. Now, to give you a bit of a picture of all of those names, if we could throw up the next slide with the genealogy. So, basically, we had Naomi, who was married to a guy named Elimelech. Great name, I know. They had two children, Chilion and Malon. Chilion was married to a girl named Orpah, and Malon was married to Ruth. And basically the circumstance, and we'll dive into this a bit more in a second, but basically the circumstance was Elimelech died, then 10 years later Chilion and Melon died, and then suddenly it was Ruth and Naomi and that was it. And so in comes, later on, in comes Boaz, who is a relative of Elimelech. We're not sure exactly what kind of relative, but in this moment he agrees to marry Ruth. And in that agreement, what he's doing is he's agreeing to care for, to provide for, and to protect both, not only Ruth, but also, by extension, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And also, he's agreeing that any child born of that house would be of the line of Elimelech, which means that with, with this family line, Elimelech had two sons. They both died. They had no children. That means that the children born through Ruth and Boaz would carry on Elimelech's name. And, and so, and, and, and what, what happened in this moment is Ruth and Naomi received, started to receive provision. 
They had somebody who started to take care of of them so they didn't have to care for themselves. And then, then it carries on and it says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, if you know what that means, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next to kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom, and he became his nurse. The woman of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is interesting, because imagine you bring your baby home from the hospital, and it's your neighbors who get to name the child. Some of you, you have good relationship with your neighbors, and you're like, okay, that'll, that'll be fine. Some of you have a bad relationship with your neighbors, and you're like, ooh, it's going to be Chilean, isn't it? Um, <laughs> woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son was, has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. David, who is the great king of Israel, who took Israel from a place of brokenness to to a place of wholeness, who built up this nation and provided for it through God's power. David, who is known as a man after God's own heart. David, who slew a giant with a single stone and a sling. David, whose son was Solomon, who's known as the wisest man in history. That David, one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament, was born through Ruth. So I want to talk to you this morning about the idea of the blessing after the curse. The blessing after the curse, and especially this idea that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what's happened to you, what you're skilled at or what you're not, If you are still breathing and you are willing to be faithful, God has a plan for you. The blessing after the curse. You know, I don't know about you, but I've found in my life that often the moments of greatest blessing, moments where God blesses me the most, are are moments often that come after the worst periods of my life. The moments when God speaks to me the clearest and and does the most in my life is often precluded by these moments of horrible stress and anxiety and, and worry. I'm talking about moments like my wedding day when greatest day of my wife or of my life when I got to marry my best friend, which was precluded not directly but several months before by about six months of agonizing stress and anxiety and worry as my wife dealt with crippling depression and anxiety. Or, you know, moments like when my wife and I, we bought our first home and we stepped into the house that we bought for the first time, which, moment of great joy, very exciting because God had blessed us with the ability to do this, but it was precluded by several weeks of stress. As days after we had put an offer in on the house, my wife got laid off from her job. And then we're like, what do we do? We feel, God, we feel like you told us to, to branch out and to buy this house and to trust you, but, but now we can't do it on one income. What, what do we do? Or, or moments like the joy that my wife and I now experience from owning our, our 
puppy, Charlie Brown, that has been continually, and by continually, I mean my puppy is still sick right to this day, um, precluded by stress of nonstop vet bills, sleepless nights, and cleaning runny poo off our carpets. It's a lot of fun owning a dog, sometimes. But I found that the moments, the places, the ways that God blesses me the most often comes through these seasons of hardship. And so it's often through the struggle that we are brought to a place where God wants to bless us. Not that God causes the struggle or that God is trying to punish you or trying to hurt you, but rather that through the struggle, God wants to work it for your good. And so he will use that bad that happens to you to bring good into your life. Now, Romans 8.28 puts it this way. It says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Through the bad, God can bring good. And you know, we don't get to the blessing that we see in Ruth chapter 4 without first going through all the garbage that we see in Ruth 1 through 3. See, the blessing in Ruth 4 is really exciting. It's a baby. It's exciting. This, this person, this woman who lost her husband, this grandmother who, who lost her sons, they, they now have this child. It's exciting what God did, but, but to really understand what happened in that moment, we have to look back at all the garbage of Ruth 1 to 3, because really the story of Ruth starts back in Ruth 1 verse 1, which I know, crazy. First verse in the book is where the story starts. But, but it starts with these five verses that are perhaps some of the most tragic in Scripture. So it says this, Ruth 1 verse 1, In the day, days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. When they lived about there about ten years... Both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. See, this is the tragic backstory of, of, of the story of Ruth. It's a story of a curse, a famine that drove this family out of their homeland, away from their family, to a foreign land where they basically lived as refugees, and then later defined by the death that strips everyone that Naomi loved from her life. See, this book is called Ruth, and we tend to focus on what happened in Ruth, but, but really what happened in this moment is, is, is when Ruth lost her husband, Naomi lost her child. And she had already lost her husband, and she had already lost her other child. So now Naomi in this moment is alone without family in a foreign land. And I want to be clear about something, though, because sometimes Christians get caught up in the whole idea of God being a, a judge that we tend to look at stories like this and be like, oh, well, God must have been judging her. And while it's true that God is a judge and he is just, 
and that the punishment of sin is, is death, it, and that there's a moment that it was coming when God, when Jesus will return and the entire world will be judged for their actions, and if you believe, your sins will have been washed clean, but if you don't, you, there will be judgment to come. That's true, but, but often what happens in your life, the bad things that happen in your life are not because you did something bad. See, everything that happened to Naomi in this story, the famine, the death of her children, was not God's justice on her. She didn't do anything wrong, this just happened. See, the reason I say this is because there's some people in the room or watching online who you have lived your entire life thinking that every bad thing has been caused because God is angry at you and that's not the truth. God loves you so much, more than you could ever imagine. But we live in a natural world. See, sometimes the reality is, if you make stupid decisions, you will suffer the natural consequences of your actions. For instance, if you decide to drive drunk down the Hendy at 250 kilometers an hour, when you crash, you will have to suffer the consequences of those actions. And there will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be problems, and it will be entirely on you. But often the things that happen in our lives aren't caused by us. They're caused because we live in a natural world where things like natural disasters happen, where nobody lives forever, and where people hurt people and we hurt ourselves. And the problem with this suffering is it's not caused by God, but regardless, we still have to endure it. No matter the cause of the suffering you go through, it it might not be caused by God, but the pain you're feeling and you have to deal with is real. And so Naomi is in a difficult place. She's in a foreign land surrounded by strangers. She only has two daughter and daughters-in-law, no family, no one around her. And, and, and she's left all alone with these two women that were married to her sons. And, you know, if, if you like your daughters-in-law, that's a good thing. But if you don't, that's cursing itself. And, and she decides, that's it, I'm going home. Let's go back to Bethlehem. Let's make our way back. And and as they're making their way back, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, and this is where you can tell that she's in pain because her natural reaction in pain, and often I find my natural reaction in pain is to push people away. I'm hurting, so why would you want to hang out with me? I'm hurting, so stay away from me. I'll deal with it myself. And she tells her daughters-in-law, just leave me be. Go back to your home, go back to your mom's, go get married, leave me be, leave me in my suffering, I will die here on the side of the road. And Orpah, well, the reason this book isn't called the book of Orpah is because she's like, okay, bye. She leaves. But Naomi, or Ruth, Ruth responds, verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. Ruth responds, don't press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more so as well, if even death parts me from you. See, the reason this verse is so famous in the story is because it paints us a picture of Ruth's character. She is saying in this moment, yeah, there's better things out there for me. Yeah, my mom wants me to go and get married. Yeah, I have my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations. I want to have children. Yeah, all that's true. But in this moment, Naomi, I see you're in need and I will not abandon you. 
You know, when we're in pain, when we're struggling, this is the kind of person we need in our lives. And if you have a friend who's in pain, this is the kind of person they need in their lives. Somebody who, when we're struggling and we just want to give up, it's like, no, let me walk alongside you. I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. Let me help you. Naomi tries to push Ruth away, and Ruth's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be here for you. And the reason this is so profound is because of the context that we see in this culture at the time. See, in the ancient Near East, which is the the broad term that we use to talk about uh, Middle East back in the time of the Bible, in the ancient Near East, it was a very family-based culture. It wasn't like modern day where it's all about me. It's all individualistic. If I get famous, it's because of my abilities and whatnot. No, 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 it was all about family. It was an honor-based culture. It was all about the family. So, so basically what would happen in this culture was, was a, a young woman would get married to a young guy, and then they would have children, and the man, the husband, would go out and he'd provide for his wife. He'd go out and he'd do the work, he'd make the money, he would get the food, he would provide for them, he'd protect them, he'd do all of this. And if the husband died, well then the children would care for their mom. But when the children and the husband died, well, the expectation was that the extended family would start to care for this widow. But when the widow was in a foreign country with no extended family, no one cared for them. And basically, like God had set up these rules that Israel did not follow very well, where, where you're supposed to do certain things, like when you harvested grain, you're supposed to leave the edges so that the widow and the orphan could have something to eat. You're supposed to care for these people who, who were struggling, but most people just t- tended to look after themselves. But if you were a widow and you had no extended family, or you had bad extended family, you were left to fend for yourself. And so Naomi, as a widow, it doesn't have the support of anyone, but even worse, as a widow in a foreign land, she had no one to care for her. And so she would have been expected, we're probably talking a lady in her 40s or 50s, somewhere in there, that's just a rough estimate, where she would have been expected to go out and do the back-breaking labor of harvesting grain, carrying that grain, and then beating the grain to turn it into flour, and then baking with it so that she could eat, and then doing that process all over again. Oh, and that's just food. When you talk about water, water is also a difficult thing, because you don't just go and turn on your tap, and then grab your water bottle. No, you go to the well with a giant clay jar, and you fill it with water, and then you have to haul it all the way back to your house. And so this lady would have been expected to do all this back-breaking labor for herself, to provide for herself, and in this moment, Ruth this woman that scholars estimate was probably in her early 20s. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me help you. Let me provide for you. I will give up on remarrying. I will give up on what my mom wants me to do. I will leave all my friends and family and journey with you because I want to care for you. And so Ruth is faithful to Naomi despite the curse, and she stays with her, and even after they arrive in Bethlehem, she provides for her, going out, harvesting the grain, keeping them both alive, providing for her, and and in doing so, she meets a rich, single, handsome guy named Boaz. Now, this is the part of the story that a lot of pastors like to preach, 
because whenever you do a relationship series, you automatically go to the story of Ruth. And it's this whole idea of Ruth was just doing the right thing, and look what God did and gave her in her life. And there's even this old saying, maybe if you've been around church for a while, you probably know it. But it, but it goes this way, and it's advice that pastors like to give to single ladies in the room. Um, it says, Ruth waited for her Boaz. You have to have an accent when you do it. I always picture like an old white preacher, like, Ruth waited for her Boaz. While you're waiting for your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke ass, lying ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, drunk ass, cheap ass, locked up ass, good for nothing ass, lazy ass, and especially his third cousin, beating your ass. Wait for your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It has nothing to do with my message. But, <laughs> but it's this advice that we get from the story of Ruth because Ruth, we see in the story, is just being faithful to Naomi and God brings someone into her path. And really, the focus of the story is less about the relationship between Ruth and Boaz, and it's more about Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi. See, in the story, what doesn't happen is Ruth is gleaning, uh, green, gleaning wheat in the field. She looks up. <gasps> There's Boaz. Oh, my goodness. Her heart's a flutter. And her eyes turn into little rainbows, or rainbows, hearts. And they run towards each other and fall in love, and it's magical. No, 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 no. It's not how the story happens. Rather, Ruth is just doing her thing. And Boaz sees it and does the little he can to help her. And we don't know what their thoughts were in this moment, but, but there's no indication they were even interested in each other. It says, Ruth 2, verse 2, it says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean from among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I might find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. And Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? Basically, who is that random person that is harvesting grain in my field right now? And the, reaper said, or the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, she's the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even a moment. And so what we see in this moment is Ruth is doing hard labor. See, this isn't, as, this isn't like going out into our foyer after the service and be like, do I want vanilla or chocolate? Ooh. Toppings. Oh, Joy got like 50 different toppings. What do I want? This is hard. This wasn't like going to a grocery store and being like, which microwavable dinner do I want tonight? No, no, no. This was Ruth going out early in the morning, cutting down at this time, I, I, I believe it was barley that she was cutting at this time in the harvest, cutting it down, putting it in baskets, carrying the basket around with her as she cut more. And then once she had filled her basket, going, beating the grain so that it would separate, then turning it into flour, making it into food, and finally eating said food. This was hard, hard labor. But Ruth, young woman in her 20s, whatever it takes to care for Naomi, I'll do it. 
No matter what it takes, I will care for Naomi. I will be faithful and provide for her no matter what. And Boaz sees this and it says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. Thank you, Boaz, because some men are pigs. Um, If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face on the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come for refuge. So Ruth is being faithful in the little things to care for Naomi and Boaz sees her faithfulness and he's like, I'm going to do the little I can to help her. And as the story goes on, we see him continue to do so. He, at dinner time, he provides her with food. He tells her, you can drink the water because, again, no running water. You would go, you'd have to haul a jug of water, a clay jug, probably like, probably like 80 pounds to 100 pounds of water from the village to the field and carry it around with you whenever you wanted to get a drink. Uh, and he says, no, 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 drink that. He tells his men, don't bother her. And even more than that, he tells his men, let her gather from the good grain. Like all the grain that you guys are harvesting, that's great. Leave some for her. Allow her to gather there. Allow allow her to get the best grain. And and, and so Ruth is being faithful and Boaz sees her faithfulness and helps her. And, And the story goes on in Ruth 3 that then Naomi tells her, and this is where I think that thought might not have crossed Ruth's mind. Naomi tells her, go to him. And essentially what she tells her is, convince him to marry you. It's basically the story. And so Ruth goes, and she goes at night to where Boaz is, and he's at the threshing floor with all the grain. He's guarding it. She waits until he has something to drink and something to eat, and he falls asleep, and then she goes and she lays at his feet. She also, before she went, she took a nice shower, put on good perfume, got dressed in her, you know, nice nice outfit. She went, she lay at his feet, and we don't really know what the the laying at the feet symbolically meant or what the cultural significance of it was. All we know is that it was just an innocent act. There was nothing sexually involved in it, Um, but, but she goes and she lays at his feet, and Boaz wakes up in the night and, surprise, there's Ruth sitting at his feet. And he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, well. And and through this conversation, she convinces him to marry her. And the story goes on that there was another man who would have been first in line to marry her who was closer relative to Elimelech. And he goes to him, and the guy's like, no. And so Boaz is free to marry her. And and, and so they get married. And, And through all the tragedy the famine and the death, the incredible thing with the story of Ruth is because of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, through her just doing the little things to care for Naomi, comes this baby, this child, who becomes the grandfather of one of the greatest characters in the Bible, who, by the way, then became a distant descendant of another guy in the Bible, this one in the New Testament, a guy named Joseph, the earthly father of our Savior, Jesus. Through Ruth, God 
moved his plan forward. And what God showed me in this story this past couple weeks as I've been studying it, and what I want to show you today, is how God used the most unqualified, unexpected person to bring about the most incredible thing. See, in the story, Ruth had three things going against her that should have kept her from being used by God. First of all, she was a foreigner. And the reason this was a problem was, at this time, God was working through the nation of Israel to spread his love into the world. And the plan was through Israel he would bless the world, but at this time, he was working with the people of Israel. Ruth is a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's not part of God's people. It was not expected that God would use her, but God used her. Secondly, she was a commoner, which is to say she wasn't rich. She wasn't famous. She didn't have anything really special. She wasn't politically motivated. She she was just an ordinary girl. She's just an ordinary person who was willing to be faithful, and so God used her. And third, and this is the one that really messes me up, is Ruth wasn't even a servant of God. Don't believe me? Throw up, um, throw up the next verse, Ruth 1. So it says, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following me. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my po- people, and your God, my God. See, in this day and age, they were a very polytheistic culture, so you would have a family God, and then you have a city God, and then you have a national God, and each nation would have their own God. And there was just millions of gods. It was like the sun's a God, the grass is a God, the moon's a God, like all of this kind of thing. And, and so the practice was when you got married, you would forsake your family's gods and turn to their family's gods. And what Ruth is saying is, I will follow you, Naomi, and in doing so, your God will be my God. And the only reason she served the true God was because Naomi did. It wasn't anything special. She didn't have special revelation. She just followed God because Naomi did. So Ruth was a foreigner. She was a commoner. And she didn't even serve God. And still, God used her. She was faithful to Naomi, and God used her in the midst of chaos to do amazing things in his nation and later in the world. Ruth had every reason to be disqualified. But because she was faithful, God was faithful to her and blessed her. See, the reality is that God will use anyone. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you grew up, what skills you have, what skills you might lack, if you are willing to be faithful God will use you. It doesn't matter if you're famous or not. It doesn't matter if you have a thousand or more followers on Instagram and TikTok. It does not matter. I heard a pastor named Steve Backlund once say that God, what is it? It, it, God didn't call us to be famous. He called us to be faithful, which means to be loyal and steadfast to a cause, to his cause, no matter what it costs you. 1 Corinthians 1 26 puts it this way, consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose um, what is low and despised in this world, the things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. 
which is to say that God doesn't need to use rich and famous people in order to change the world. He wants to use faithful people like me and you, people who are willing to be obedient to him and to care for others in the little things. See, God uses people who are broken, who are messed up, who have done horrible things, who feel worthless, people who have physical illness, people who have mental illness. God uses people who feel disqualified to change the world because it's not about what you have, it's about your willingness to receive what he has. Nothing can limit what God wants to do in your life and through your life except you. And the beauty of it is that when you are faithful, God is willing to bless you and to provide for you and to use you and work through you and in you to make a difference. And when you are faithful, it doesn't matter what curses come your way, God will provide. Let me prove it to you. Romans 8, 28. Read this verse and then we'll close. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Now notice, it doesn't say God causes no bad thing to happen to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I wish it said that, but it doesn't. It doesn't say God will prevent every bad thing. He'll prevent every sickness, every death, every disease, every famine, everything from happening. No, it doesn't say that. It says God will cause all things, even the bad, to work for good. And the two qualifiers, the two things that, that hinge on our receiving this promise are one, love God, which if you believe in Jesus, you naturally should have this love for God, the, the qualifier there is essentially just believe. Are you willing to receive God? Do you believe in God? Do you love God? And number two, called according to his purpose. And this is where it gets interesting because every single one of us is called according to his purpose. So the question here is, are you walking in his purpose? Are you following his will, because when you are faithful in the little things, it doesn't matter what bad happens to your life, he will work it for good. Now, if you're going the opposite direction of what he says, bad things will naturally happen because you're walking in the wrong direction. But he, if you're willing to be faithful and to trust him and to follow him, he will work everything for your good. And through the bad, through the curses, he will bless Now, the question you have to ask yourself, though, is am I willing to be faithful? Am I willing to be obedient? Am I willing to trust God when it's easy and when it's hard? When people insult me for doing so or not? When his word is easy to obey and when he says something that I'm like, God, I, I, I don't know how I can do that. Am I, are you willing to follow him in the deep? You know, our word for this year is deeper. But the only way to be in the deep with God is if you're willing to be faithful to him and to trust him. In the little things, to be like Ruth. Be faithful to a cause no matter what, even when it's hard. And if you are willing to be faithful and obedient to God, it doesn't matter what bad things you might experience, what curses you might experience, or how unqualified you might feel. 
God is going to do something incredible in your life and through your life and will bless you with more than you could ever imagine. And all it takes is a willingness to be like Ruth. To be faithful in the little things. Let's stand together. I want to pray over all of us. And just as I do, I want to encourage anyone. If you want to make that commitment to being faithful to God this morning, to trusting Him in the little things, even when it's hard, just as I pray, all I want to encourage you to do is just put your hands out like this. This is a posture of receiving. Posture of saying, God, I, I, I want what you have. It's just a little thing. But I believe that God uses little things to change the world. So Father God, Lord, you see the desires of our heart. You see our desire, the, the desires of our flesh that are at war with what you desire, these things that try to distract us from what you have for us, God. Lord, in this moment, we lay that aside. We put that desire aside. The craving for fame, the desire for popularity, the desire for riches, we lay that all aside and say, God, I am yours. God, no matter where you call me to do or where you call me to go, I will trust you. I will be faithful and obedient in the little things. I won't seek after the blessing on my own, but I will trust you, the God of all blessing, to provide for me in my time of need. Lord, I lay all of my problems at your feet. They are yours. You are the God of infinite power. They are yours. And God, I just, I'm waiting. I'm ready to receive what you have for me. So Father, help me. Help me to be faithful in the little things. To trust you in the little things. To pursue you in the little things. And I, I just trust God that in doing so, you will detail, you'll deal with all the details. In doing so, you'll deal with all the problems, all the garbage. And you will lead me somewhere better than I can imagine. I give myself to you, Lord. In Jesus' name.